You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit CanbyFoursquare.com to learn more. Uh, happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, so we officially believe summer starts now. I know the summer solstice is a few weeks away, but it starts now. We're going to just enjoy it. The weather's telling us summer is here. So it's good to be here this morning, especially for all of you that are online on campus here. We're just going to dive into the word of the Lord here in just a moment and see what God has to say to us. And I want to thank all of you for your prayers and your support during the time that Annette and I spent away. We were with each other for a few weeks. We were with family as well. And uh, your support, the little notes that we would get were very meaningful. So we want to thank you for your, um, your constant presence in our lives. It is a blessing to be part of this church community. It really is. And people see that in the community. They see your light shine, and God is glorified. And that's always a good thing. Well, my family will be celebrating my dad's 90th birthday in, in a few weeks. And uh, I asked him, did he feel like he was getting old at 90? And he says, no, turning 90 doesn't make me feel old. Having kids in their 60s makes me feel old. Touche. And I thought, yeah, that's probably really a, a something that dawns on you when you're, when you're growing a little older. But I know this. It's, it's an interesting thing. The older my dad gets, the more uh, I, I want to know about his life. The more I want to know about how he was brought up, the things that influenced him. Because I know those are things that influence me today. Those are things that make a difference in my life. I'm especially interested in his, his armed forces service. See, he served in the Army, and um, I've done a little background, looked, looked him up, kind of uh, asked him some questions. And by the time you get into your 80s or 90s, you have bits and pieces. And so it's up to the guy that's his son who's in their 60s to try to figure that out. Now, that's a fun process. But uh, just asking him questions about where he served and what was he doing and all of those things have, uh, have meant a lot to me. And again, I want to thank those that have served in our armed forces uh, for those that sacrificed their life. I want to thank the families for your sacrifice. That's a big deal. And we want to celebrate your lives and their lives this weekend. And so uh, watching my dad, talking to my dad, just listening to what he has to say, this little picture here is very interesting to me because I talked to my dad and I asked him, uh, where did you serve? And, and he told me a few places. And, and then he said, well, I served at a place called Tent City out in the Nevada desert. And I said, oh, really? You were in the Nevada desert? He goes, yeah. They were, uh, they were dropping nuclear bombs or blowing nuclear bombs up there. And we were out there watching that. And I said, well, I, I never knew you did that. I never knew you were out there witnessing that. And he goes, yeah, I was there in 1953. And, and in fact, he said, I think it was called like Operation Knothole or something like that. And, and I've never heard this before. So I dove in and Annette, Annette knows I just start diving in. And it took me about five or six hours. And I found some, um, some footage that had no sound attached to it. It was just kind of some clips that were on YouTube. And sure enough, 30 seconds into these clips, when there's tens and thousands of, 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 of those that served out there, tens and thousands of, of, of army personnel, I come across this. It's my dad. And, uh, and he is actually helping the general there, carrying his radio. And I just couldn't believe it. I went back and forth over it about 10 times called Annette to the TV screen. I said, that's dad. 
And she said, yeah, that is dad. And I got a hold of my dad, and I said, did you ever do this? He goes, yeah, I think I did. I carried a radio around for a guy, and, and I said, man, that is pretty impressive. And, and the, way, the, the reason I say that is it's just so good for us to know about those that have gone before us. And I, I hope you, you might have an interest in that. I know that my sons and daughter have an interest in knowing those things as well. And that's exactly what... Luke chapter 17 is all about. What you need to know in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is not long for this planet. Uh, He is getting ready to sacrifice his life. He's getting ready to lay his life down for you, for me, and for the whole world. And what Luke does, and you've heard this before, he changes his emphasis from the works of Jesus to the words of Jesus especially in this last week of the life of Jesus. So Jesus is starting to really bear in, and he's starting to bore down, and he's really wanting his disciples to come away with some things that are going to last, some things that are going to get them through difficult times. And I'll tell you what, that is incredible when people take time and do that with you. If you have mentors in your life that take time to do that, you know how precious that is. And I'm thankful that I have Annette and I have mentors in our lives that help us. They, they, they help us with our, our compass and direction in life. They help us understand where we've been and where we're going. Mentors like that are amazing. Now, Jesus is doing this very, very thing. So I want you to think about this just for a moment. I'm going to put you in this spot. What would you say to your closest friends, family members, if you knew that you weren't long for this earth? I mean, what kind of lessons would you talk to them about? What would you write to them? What would you say? What are the things that would come to mind? Because I am positive that those are things that they would want to hear, that they would want to take hold of. So in Luke chapters 15 and 16, Jesus addresses the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, for their love of money. And he he does this in in a way of parables and teaching. And then he's publicly criticized by the Pharisees. Now you have to understand, you have to understand that backdrop to really get an understanding of Luke chapter 17. You have to know that Jesus was being hounded, he was being publicly ridiculed, derided. There were all kinds of things going on. So now in chapter 17, he steps up his lessons by teaching them about forgiveness, faithfulness, thankfulness, and preparedness. All things that really make a difference. When things get tough, when things get hard. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to camp out with you just for a little while in that first place. That first place that Jesus talks about in this discourse is forgiveness. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I think it's something that speaks to us today. It speaks to us about some things that we all probably need to know. There's things that we need to know about ourselves. There's things that we need to know about others. And most of all, we need to know that we've been forgiven by Jesus Christ. So forgiveness is one of the things he talks about. And and again, for us to get the other three lessons in chapter 17, it's important you understand this first lesson. This first lesson is actually the gateway. It's actually the open door for you to understand and be faithful, for you to understand and be thankful, for you to understand and be prepared. You have to get this first one. You have to, you must get this first one. And this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. 
going to happen. You're going to experience it. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. means confront them. Talk to them about it. Don't run away. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times you come back to say, and they come back to say, I repent, you must forgive them. I'm going to stop right there. This is a Jewish custom that when someone comes to you and asks for forgiveness, there's actually a number on that. It says if they come back and, and they ask for your forgiveness three or four times, then you do it. Jesus always ups the ante. He always takes what's the law and he blows it out, doesn't he? He always says things, well, if you're even thinking that, you're sinning. He's, he says things like that. And he does that very thing right here. Now, wow, I don't know if you heard this. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck. I mean, that catches your attention right, right away. Then to offend one of these little ones. You know what that sounds like? It actually sounds like mafia, doesn't it? It's kind of a, almost a mafia statement. I'm gonna, you're gonna, we're going to put cement. We're giving you cement shoes and you're going in that water. I mean, what is that meant to do? That's meant that you never come back. That's meant that you totally disappear. And really what he's saying is that even your name and your presence vanishes from the planet. Jesus is talking in some incredibly radical terms here. You know, again, that's equivalent to cement shoes. It's radical. And here's why. I want you to know why Jesus is making this radical statement. You have to hear his heart and his passion. He's speaking and he's addressing the Pharisees. He's talking to those that are supposed to be the more mature religious leaders. He's saying to them, you need to pay attention and hear this because when you deride me, when you come against me, Jesus is saying, you're causing some of these new followers to stumble. That you have influence in in, in their lives. That they've grown up with you as a rabbi in the community or a Pharisee in the community. They know who you are. And when you talk like this, when you speak like this about me, It's better that you have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown in the ocean never to be heard of again. That is drastic. But this is the passion that Jesus has. The passion that Jesus has here is that that the newest believers, the weakest believers, the believers that are struggling, that Jesus loves them. And he cares for them. This is the the shepherd of Jesus. This is the great shepherd of our Lord and Savior that says, hey, I don't want any of these things to harm you. I don't want any things to hurt you. Jesus is extremely passionate about making disciples, so much so that whoever interferes with that process, well, you know, they're going to go for a swim with cement shoes on. And, and he says the, the word offend here, it's, 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 it's stated a few times, actually it's twice, and it's the Greek word scandalon, and you can remember that, the word scandalon, it literally means a bait stick. Inside a trap, a hunter would put a stick with bait on it. So it came to mean somebody who purposefully makes somebody else stumble or fall prey. 
He's talking to those that are intentionally causing others to stumble. It's also where we get the word, and you probably already figured this out, we get the word scandal. Comes from this very Greek word. It means to intentionally offend. Now Jesus is saying flat out, and in no uncertain terms, you never, ever, ever mess with my kids. Don't mess with my kids. Don't mess with the new kids. Don't, don't mess with those that are going through a hard time. Don't mess with those disciples that are struggling. I don't want you to mess with them because this is the result. Now, now I want us to, to spend some time here, and this is really where I want us to camp out just for a little bit. I want us to spend some time on the offended side of the equation. So we're in the place where we have been offended. And what Jesus says here is it's going to happen. He doesn't, he doesn't say if, he says when. It's going to happen. You're going to be offended. You can't be in relationship, in marriage, in family, in church, in business, in community without experiencing some sort of offense. Because I think today, and I'm going to stop here, I think this is a big deal. I think this has been, been a huge deal and still is a huge deal given this last year that we've gone through. And so when I was reading this, the, the Lord just uh, it had me pause and stop and look at this and think about it. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say I believe the future health and effectiveness of the church in America depends on our choice to live either an offended life or a forgiven life. You can write that one down. I don't think it's pressure from the outside. I don't... I don't think, because the Bible says there, there's nothing that can, can destroy us from the outside. No powers, no principalities, nothing can come. No forces can rob us of our relationship with Jesus Christ and our relationship with others. And so what we're talking about is we're talking about this internal struggle. I'm not sure, but I, I think that we might even be teetering on the edge if not on the edge, we're the closest I've ever witnessed the church choosing to live an offended life. I, I've, never, I've never seen this much offense before. I've never seen people choosing to be offended. And I'm going to say this. I understand that those things are painful, and I understand that we do get offended. The question is going to be, are we going to stay offended? Uh, the question is, are we going to live an offended life? Now, there's a difference of being offended because it happens and it hurts. It's painful. The question really isn't about that because that's going to happen. The question is, is I'm a, am I going to live this way? Am I going to live as someone who chooses to constantly be offended? Now, I could tell you that my, my greatest battle uh, during this pandemic hasn't been trying to stay safe from the disease of COVID. My greatest and most difficult battle has been staying safe from the disease of constantly being offended. That by far has been a greater battle than anything external. Because every day I wake up, every day I go to bed at night, there's something out there for us to be offended over. There's something that absolutely can offend us. There's no shortage of things to be offended about. <laughs> None at all. Uh, the way I'd say that is uh, offenses are like junior high kids standing in line, a lunch line in middle school. I mean, 
you've got a, a lot of kids standing in line that are hungry, and, and they're going to go back for second and third. And that's just the way offense works. It's next. Next, it could be rudeness. It could be church. It could be mass. It could be politics. It could be family. It could be unemployment. All these things. They're just stacked up. They're just waiting. Because once one offense goes away or you think you solve it, another one comes. <laughs> They're just standing in line. Now, I chose junior high kids because I found out in my, uh, my life experience that junior high kids are the hardest to offend. But if I offended any junior high kids, please forgive me. But I know that there's so many offenses. And I know for me, I could just next, next. They're just there. They're waiting at the door of my heart. Now listen, what's really eating away at us isn't that Republican, it isn't that Democrat, it isn't that mask, it isn't that neighbor. It's allowing ourselves to be offended. Because when all of this is over, the mask go away, the disease is over, the disease of offense can still remain. And that's why it's so important we talk about this today. Because oftentimes we think, well, when this all blows over, I mean, when it all gets back to whatever normal looks like, I'm going to be fine. Not necessarily. Not necessarily if we've chosen to continue to be offended because you know you'll find, your heart will find something else. That's just the way that we're going to and oftentimes operate. Listen, as your pastor This is my greatest concern for the church, especially in this nation. Because the disease of being offended will find something else to be offended about. Can can you say yes to that? It does. It thrives. And it feeds by offense. It is literally a cancer of the soul. And it can suck the life right out of your very being. Because untreated, offense that's untreated turns into anger. And anger turns into bitterness. And then Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 says, you know what bitterness has? (laughs) It has something that not all the other negative qualities or sinful qualities have. It has something that we need to pay attention to. Bitterness has roots, That means that it can grow and it can go deeper and it can embed itself into our very character, our very DNA, our very self. It has roots. And so what Jesus is saying here is, and he'll go on in other places and so so much in the New Testament, is stop it at the door. Don't let it go any further. Don't let your heart and your mind be obsessed. But stop it at the door. So... Here are some things that I think that can happen when we choose to live an offended life. Uh, One of the first things that you see is it robs you of the joy of the Lord. That the joy of the Lord is taken away. It's robbed. That phrase, how many have heard that phrase, the joy of the Lord is your strength? It's, it's, It's cool. It's a cool phrase. I always thought it was a New Testament phrase. You know, here I am a pastor. I'm supposed to know God's word. And I'm thinking, oh, that's great. That's probably out of... Philippians, because they talk about, Paul talks about joy. And uh, here you find out it's actually Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. 
And Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, the reason Nehemiah says this is because these people that are coming back, the Jews that are coming back to a rebuilt Jerusalem are, are going to be living together in a way that they've not lived together in decades because they have been in bondage to Xerxes and Persia, the, the nation of Persia. And now these people are actually, they were exiles, and now they're being brought back to their, their homeland. And Nehemiah is such an incredible leader. He says, oh, whoa, whoa, if you guys all come back, uh, you can be bringing back all kinds of offenses that you've had about Persia and the king and the government. You might even be ticked at me. I don't know. So when we come back, you know what we're going to do? We're going to eat, drink, and be merry. And you got to know the joy of the Lord is your strength. He knows that offense robs us of joy. And so he speaks to it so well. They could have lived an offended life, but Nehemiah says, celebrate and have joy. Because that is the communal lubricant. That is what you need to do when you come together, is you need to have joy with each other. And that joy will be your strength to live that day and the days to come. And I love that. And you've experienced that, haven't you? Anything that robs your joy, you find out that it's replaced maybe with some sadness. And I know we go through sadness. I know we go through difficult times. But you're not meant to live systemically joyless. You're meant to live with the joy of the Lord in your life. Here's something else. Living an offended life blinds you to God's grace and goodness. I found that out blinds me to God's grace and goodness. When offended, you're actually looking for the wrong more than you're looking for the right. How many know that if you're in a relationship with folks and you're already predisposed to find the wrong, it's very difficult to see that person do something right and you really notice it or you really see it because offense blinds you to the grace. It blinds you to the goodness in the relationships you have, the people around you, the marriage you're part of. After a while, all you do is you focus in on maybe the 5%. And, and in my case, uh, you know, I might be 10 or 20 or 30% that I <laughs> offend in that. But what does it do? It blinds you. And it only lets you see those things that are wrong. Wrong with marriage, wrong with family, wrong with church, wrong with society. You know, there's a great story in Matthew chapter 15. I love it. Verses 21 through 28. It's actually really uncomfortable to read. It's awkward. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Jesus talking to the Syrophoenician woman. Jesus has gone on a little vacation, so he's headed up the coast, kind of to hang out, get away, relax. And this Syrophoenician woman, who's a Gentile, runs to him and says... Jesus, my daughter is demon-possessed, and I heard you could heal her. And Jesus responds. He says this, kind of like, you know, I'm on, I'm on vacation, and I really, have only, I've come to the Jews first and the Gentiles second. Now, I know that if Jesus told me that, if I heard that, if that's the first thing that came out of the Lord's mouth with me, I'd say, well, then I'll see you later. You know, I'd probably walk away offended. This woman is persistent. And you know what she says? She says this. 
She says, well, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table. Now, today, that's a lawsuit. But she doesn't stop. She refuses to be offended. Why? There's something greater on the other side. And church, I'm going to tell you this. There's something greater on the other side that if we do not deal with our offense, we won't experience what's on the other side. We won't see the grace and goodness and revival and life of God's spirit, nor will the next generation. That's how much I'm passionate and convicted about this. See, she pushed through this and she said, Yeah, well, the dogs eat eat the crumbs off the table. And you know what Jesus says? Whoa! Whoa! I don't even see faith like that, you know, amongst my own folks. And then what does he say? She's healed. So here's the question. Is it worth it for us to push through our offense so the next generation can live an unoffended life? That's the question. I want to answer that yes. But I know it's not easy. I know it's a struggle. I know I push. I have to every day. There's choices I make about how I'm going to think and how I'm going to feel and my attitude toward others. So here's the encouragement. Please hear this. Push through being offended to see a miracle. There are miracles on the other side. There are miracles that are waiting for you in unexpected, unimaginable unpredicted ways. Why? Because it's the God of the universe that's bringing and wants to bring miracles to us. But he clears up our spiritual fogginess, our spiritual offendedness in order that we can see it. And then we can embrace what God's Holy Spirit's doing. I think this last thing, the most tragic thing about living an offended life is that you're actually unsafe to others. And I've seen it. I've been there. I've experienced this. When you live an offended life, others walk on eggshells because you easily strike back. You're easily defensive. And after a while, it's almost like, I don't really know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this relationship. It's toxic. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter's writing to the dysphoria, the Jews that have fled, that are trying to follow Jesus and make a living. And, and, and he does something in chapter 4. He, he, he gives them something. He says, here's what an unsafe life looks like, and here's what a safe life looks like. An unsafe life, full of debauchery, full of offense, full of anger, full of all these things. And he lists them. He says, this is an unsafe life. And then he goes on and says, now, the way you counter that, you don't live that way, the way you counter that as a believer, he says this in verse 8, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, it doesn't say love covers up. It says it covers, it protects. The word there is the word atoned. It's what Jesus did for you. Jesus didn't ignore our sin. What did he do? He gave us a solution, and it was his blood. And so he's saying, I'm atoning. I'm the one atoning for this. I'm covering you. So you don't have to deal with the all-on full death and destruction that your sin brings you. Jesus took that upon himself. He took on the death and destruction by dying on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. He atoned us. 
And Peter says that's what we do in relationships. We cover others. We help others through this. Now, the opposite of of covering a multitude of sins is this. And you've noticed this, I think. Offense uncovers, maliciously makes public another's sin. I mean, just go to social media platforms. Yikes. Watching people dispute, family disputes on the airwaves, it's unnerving to me. It's unnerving to me. Because that's the opposite. That's the opposite of the way we are asked to live. Even with people that we don't care for, the Bible says, you know what, you got to take one on the chin here a bit. And you need to cover. You need to take care of them. Don't expose them. Don't be malicious. Yes, they do have weaknesses. Yes, they do have sins. Yes, they have offended you. But cover them. Because love covers a multitude of sins. When we choose to live a forgiven life, Forgiving those who have offended us, it allows the lifeblood of Jesus to flow through relationships. It, it, open, it, it, it breaks the, the, the damn walls. You can take that two ways. But it breaks down the barriers because that's what the blood of Jesus does. The blood of Jesus breaks the walls down. And then when we're open and we see that the blood of Jesus is flowing through our relationships and anyone and anything that comes in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ, they will be saved. They will be healed. They will be destroyed. That's the good news of this message. That's the hope. That you're not left alone to deal with offense. You're not left alone to deal with unforgiveness. Forgiveness is the cure to offense. It's, it's, it's the vaccine. Forgiveness is the fountainhead of life. I tell young couples that are going to get married, I, you know, I say, hey, you guys are getting married. I just did this the other day. I was sitting with a couple that are getting married next Saturday. And... Uh, and uh, just talk to them a little bit. And one of the things I say is I say, hey, let me tell you what is really going to make this relationship work. Let me tell you what's going to get you to your 15th, 20th, 30th, 40th, 50th wedding anniversary. And I'd like to say, and I know they're anticipating I say that it's romance. And that's good. It's fun. But it's not romance. What gets you to those places in relationship is forgiveness. When the spirit of forgiveness works in relationships... When the spirit of forgiveness works in homes, then there's longevity, there's endurance, there is joy. There are all the things that we need to live a godly life. That's what forgiveness is all about. Jesus began this lesson with forgiveness because the rest of the virtues mentioned here are impossible to achieve without it. You cannot be faithful if you're offended. You cannot be thankful if you're offended. You cannot be prepared for what's to come if you live an offended life. He says faithfulness in verses 7 through 10, that if you are faithful to the Lord with all of your heart, you will never say, God, you owe me for all my hard work. See, that's, he actually says that that's what an offended heart will do. It. You owe me. You know, there's a you know, give and take. You owe me, God. 
Listen, God's given us his everything. He's given us his son, Jesus Christ. He's given us everything. And then thankfulness. In verses 11 through 19, where 10 men with leprosy meet Jesus and they, they call out to be healed. They, they, what they say is, hey, Jesus, have mercy on us. Blind Bartimaeus said the same thing. You'll see that's a common phrase. Have mercy on us. Show your actual loving compassion. Bring healing to us. They call out to be healed. Jesus heals them. He heals all 10 of them. And you know the story. What happens? One comes back and says, hey, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. He's talking about us. And what's really interesting is that formula, that, that math, the math there, is actually runs all the way through the life of Jesus because in the three and a half years that Jesus lived on this planet when people were healed or taken care of, uh, it's only about 10% of those that come back and say thank you. 90% go their own way. I want to be the 10%, don't you? I really do. I want to be that 10% that says, hey, I'm going to come back and say thank you because, Lord, you've taken care of me. You have forgiven me. And I want to live that life. That's what we see here. Jesus heals them. He heals that one, and, or the, that ten, and, and the one comes back. And then there's preparedness, and I'm going to wrap it up here. In verses 20 through 37, where Jesus talks about the last days. Wow, he's getting there really fast. You know, he's getting to the last days. And it's pretty, it's pretty real. It's pretty graphic what he says here. I mean, he uses a lot of different metaphors, like Sodom and Gomorrah. He uses the days of Noah. He talks about what it's going to be like in these last days. And Jesus tells his disciples about his second coming. And he says to them, be ready. Be ready. You can't be offended and be ready at the same time. You have to clear that up. Be ready. So what does he say? He says, be ready because it's going to be like the days of Noah. You're going to see increased depravity. You're going to see increased wickedness. You're going to see an increased callousness of the heart. He says that, and he says, listen, begin, begin with forgiveness. Begin by choosing a life that's not offended, but a life that is forgiven. I've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. Those that are in Jesus have been forgiven, and that's what he asks us to do. And I know for many of us, we're saying, yeah, but you don't know the offense. Anyone who's lived, and I'm going to tell you, I'm old now. Anyone who's lived this long can say, yeah, I have. <laughs> uh-huh. And, 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 and maybe even a little more because you pastor in a community. <laughs> we had about 30 leaders here on, for you hosted on Thursday, um, leaders that have gone through a very difficult season. And we hosted, and we called it a pastor's conversation. It was called post-COVID pastor's conversation, then we said, no, we probably should say semi-post-COVID because I don't, I don't know if we're, we're, if we're all the way through it. And um, do you know what it did? It brought a breath of fresh air because everyone sits on an island almost and they came together and they talked about their obstacles and their opportunities. So I'm going to say this, wherever there's obstacles, spiritual obstacles that you face and I face, and for me, one of the biggest is offense, I know there's opportunities. I know it. There are always opportunities with Jesus Christ. So here's the appeal this morning. You might say, how can I live a faithful, thankful, and prepared life? Well, you start with your own heart. 
not what everyone else is thinking or doing. It's about my heart. It's about my own heart. Am I living an offended life where everything and everyone offends me? Or am I living a forgiven life where I know I will be offended, but I choose to forgive? And I'm going to finish with this. I almost hated to bring this message. You know why? Because I know I'm going to be offended tomorrow. (laughs) And I know I'm going to have to practice what I preach. So I locked myself in, or Jesus locked me into this. And said, you got you, you need to live a forgiven, a forgiven life. So here it is. Uh, I want to live that forgiven life where I know, again, that I will be offended, but I choose to forgive. The last part of Jesus' discourse here, when you look at verse 33, listen to what it says here. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will preserve it. That's what he's after. He's after the best for you and for the body of Christ. Can you say amen to that? I'm going to invite um, our girls up, our worship team again, to come forward. But I also have asked a few folks, we're going to try to ease into something that we haven't done in a while. I'm going to ask some of our folks to come up and just be up here for, for prayer. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.